When adding embedded vision into our systems, there are many decisions to be made in our overall architecture. With the rise of CMOS imaging sensors to replace CCD sensors in machine vision applications, how do we decide when an FPGA or a processor is right to handle the complex application layer to turn our designs into viable products? We've talked a lot on The Current about artificial intelligence and machine learning and how they're getting more prevalent in embedded applications and how exciting that is for us as engineers. You know, for me, I think one of the areas that makes that the most exciting is the addition of machine vision uh, into that and how that allows our products to be able to actually see the world around it and understand that world and interface with that world more intelligently without user interface. But as we add that into our systems, there's a lot of complexity required in that. And one, what's the right imaging sensor to use in that system to reduce costs, to maximize efficiency, to still give us the performance that we want? And then also, how do we make a decision on whether we're going to use a processor or an FPGA, or, or maybe we can even squeeze it somehow into a microcontroller to get done what we want done in the system? And that's a complex decision for engineers to make. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Abhishek Gadji, who's one of our sensor specialist engineers and an expert in image sensing uh, today. Thanks so much for joining me, Abhishek. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise with us on The Current. Thanks for inviting me, Todd. Pleasure's all mine. Absolutely, absolutely great to have you here. I know when I was doing designs, uh, you know, many, many years ago and was looking at anything that was going to be utilizing a camera um, for anything that, that even kind of resembled a machine learning application uh, at the time, pretty much I was having to look at CCD cameras to have the kind of resolution that I needed, uh, but there was certainly a lot of cost in that. We've certainly seen the rise of CMOS sensors kind of taking a lot of encroaching a lot of the market space that we've seen with CCD. What's the benefit of using a CMOS sensor and what's giving it the ability to kind of compete with CCDs these days? So uh, CCD uh, image sensor and the CMOS image sensor, technically both convert light to electrons, but what differs at the base level is the underlying technological setup. Uh, you said it correctly, for a very long time, the CCDs were known for their uh, high quality image uh, and low noise, but they are expensive to manufacture, as you said. And the other side is they require uh, they require a lot more power, sometimes hundred times more than a regular yeah. CMOS sensor. Luckily, CMOS technology has advanced to a point where they are fast approaching the capabilities of, of a CCD sensor. The modern cameras which you see have been growing uh, in resolution and uh, on the other side shrinking on size because of this unheard res uh, technology developments on low light sensitivity, on pixel innovations uh, and different uh, pixel ar architecture, for example, RGB uh, NIR color filter arrays. And the other thing is CMOS cameras have a higher frame rate, which is not possible with the CCD counterpart. This is because reading of a pixel can be done much faster and you don't have to wait for the CCD's charge transfer. This feature is essential for a machine vision system and often, uh, where often real-time processing is important. This improvement and the strong price-to-performance ratio from a CMOS uh, uh, image sensor uh, will definitely uh, be a game-changer in the machine vision industry. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. I mean, I think it allows us to... Uh, you know, integrate imaging into a lot more applications than it used to be. Uh, you know, I, I, in a lot of the, the applications I was looking at, 
you really had to be able to handle a high level of cost to integrate a CCD in. The market had to bear that. And so there were very few applications where that was applicable. Um, you could put it, yeah, on, on an assembly line, you know, reading and maybe taking a look at, you know, bottle caps uh, on top of a, a bottle to make sure they were placed properly um, because that was fine. You didn't need very many of those. And, you know, you could eat the costs of that in an assembly line. But in a consumer application, it was completely and totally irrelevant technology in a lot of cases. So it's exciting what CMOS has really opened up for us, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, obviously, if you're having to design a discrete camera with a sensor, um, you know, and, and put down maybe a CMOS imaging sensor with that discrete chip and then try and get the optics, uh, you know, to, to work with that, that turns into a very, very complex design. Are there ways to use... You know, I know there's a lot of imaging modules out there today, but that does, again, kind of raise our costs. Um, you know, is there a way to do that and not increase pricing too much? And to do that, I mean, use an imaging module as opposed to just a sensor. So uh, you said it, uh, what you said earlier was there are traditional camera manufacturers where they know there's the know-how of how to use an image sensor. And then there are new uh, markets where people are coming in trying to uh, use an image sensor into a product. So these can be two different uh, customer segments where you can see a clear difference where they want to use a chip down design or go with the modules. On the other side, if you're looking into uh, customers who have low volumes and want to have a quick time to market also, this is where the module options shine in. And uh, with the new developments, uh, with the wafer technology and the optics, the models are not that expensive. We are not looking on a huge add-on on your existing design, which would then uh, kind of take you away from the uh, module design. So that being said, the modules for uh, small volumes, uh, or small to medium volumes, can be a very interesting uh, uh, option for the customers. Yeah, I, I definitely seeing that, you know, I, I think as, you know, as soon as you, you go and you buy, you know, we, obviously with some of our, our bigger chip down lines for the, 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 uh, the camera sensors themselves uh, would be lines like on semi who have a great portfolio of that, um, but, you know, of different sensors themselves, but then you've got to put the optics on top and, and handle that complexity. Um, so having a module and being able to get a module cost effectively is a huge, huge benefit. I think in a lot of applications, from a volume standpoint, what do you think the inflection point is when an engineer should use a module um, it, with today's kind of pricing scheme versus actually investing in doing that complex design and going through that process of their own optics and things along those lines? So if the, uh, if the engineer or the company wants to develop the uh, image uh, camera uh, from the scratch, the volumes that they should uh, look into for a good return of investment should be somewhere in the range of 25 to 50 K. If anything okay. less than that, a module would be a good option. And keeping in mind with the present uh, suppliers that we have in our line cards, the customization, you're not talking about tens of thousands of customization costs. You're talking customization, uh, customization costs which are unheard of. So the customer can take advantage of uh, these setup and then create the custom modules if they're looking into low volumes. Right, right. And I, that, that, that certainly makes sense. Um, it, it's tough to amortize, uh, you know, the costs of that, that very complex design. I think it volumes underneath that 2550K that you mentioned. Um, so I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense there. Um, so when you're choosing an imaging sensor as an embedded engineer, 
what are some of the key considerations that you've got to take into account uh, in regards to what's available in the market today and, and what your needs of your system actually are? So uh, coming to a selection of image sensor, thanks or no thanks to the camera or mobile industry, it's always that more pixel is better. But that's not the case. We have to go back to the very basics where the most important factors being resolution, sensitivity, dynamic range, speed, shutter type, color or mono. So if you get down, of your, if, if you have answers to all the six points, you can really narrow down uh, your options to a small subset of suppliers and their uh, options. When you talk about resolution, typically you need two pixels to uh, measure a characteristics. can be a defect, can be an uh, 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 object. But depending on uh, the environment factors, the image noise, you take about four to five pixels as an overlap. So this is what you have to keep in mind when you are deciding a resolution. Second is the sensitivity. This is important when you are working in challenging environment such as low light conditions or high, de high demand for image quality uh, conditions. Here, uh, the sensitivity of the image sensor plays a big role. Third one is the dynamic range. This uh, means that the in, uh, the capacity of the image sensor to accommodate different brightness level in a single frame, in a single image. That's what defines the dynamic range. For an outdoor environment, you need an image sensor with a higher dynamic yeah. range than when compared to an indoor environment. Next is the speed, whether you want to capture one frame per second or you want to capture 500 frames per second. This is something which you have to decide. Uh, then is the shutter type. That's the main difference being global and rolling shutter. Global is typically used in machine vision applications where there's movement involved, and uh, rolling shutter is used in, uh, in applications where static imaging is required. And last but not the least, color or mono. It's kind of a virtual mandatory if you're using uh, image sensor in security application that it has to be a color. But for most of the machine vision applications, a monochrome sensor can also be sufficient. That being said, you have the six factors. How do you select one? Uh, the evaluation kits which are provided from the suppliers to, uh, presently, they start a good, uh, they give a good starting point to evaluate all these features and then to select the right image sensor according to your requirements. Right, right. Makes, makes perfect sense. And, and then beyond that, uh, you know, when you're selecting those requirements for the image sensor itself, then you've got to make the decision on, you know, what, what's going to be the brains of the system, what's actually going to interpret that data from the image sensor. And, you, you know, I, I think typically when I'm working with engineers, the decision is almost always between an MPU and, and running an operating system of some kind versus running an FPGA um, and, and using the FPGA's power and, and just that real-time logic. Uh, how, does, how do you make that decision as an engineer? When does it make more sense to use an FPGA versus a processor? At the highest level of processing, FPGA provides the greatest advantage. It, it's because of the speed and the flexibility. The name uh, FPGA are most suitable uh, when uh, you require highly efficient parallel processing applications. They are better than a GPU or a uh, CPU out there. And they are reprogrammable, which provides flexibility for the design changes and new functionalities that cannot be achieved from the other different architectures. And in terms of efficiency, an important consideration in the machine vision designs, FPGA are superior to both GPUs and CPUs. They are true, uh, especially true for performing algorithms based on logic and fixed pro process, uh, precision computing. 
that uh, and last but not the least fpj is strong for the parallel processing and continuous processing uh, mpus with dedicated hardware can be good solution for some of the standard cases but the customization possibility with the fpga and last but not the least the balance between the power consumption and the performance is key for machine vision industry and fpga comes in really good with its performance uh, uh, power to performance ratio Absolutely, absolutely. And, and certainly we've seen lines for us like Lattice, um, who have got some great FPGAs in this area, um, you know, and also some of the, the bridging uh, devices they have, um, you know, like their cross bridge platform and things like that to allow for interface of cameras into the rest of the embedded system, um, you know, make that very, very easy for engineers to get that up and running and working with. When you're selecting an FPGA, be that with a lattice or, or a microchip or, or many of the other FPGA vendors out there, what are the considerations to be looking at so that you know the FPGA is going to work for what you want it to do? So uh, when you're selecting an FPGA, it's really important to look at the logic elements, what is provided as external hardcore IPs uh, on the peripheral side, because uh, for your, your given application might be that you don't require a high-end FPGA. You might require a low-end FPGA, for example, what's provided from uh, cross-links from uh, uh, Lattice. So this is the first thing which you have to look into for the, FPGA, uh, for the FPGA selection. And the second is the power consumption. So all the FPGAs definitely, they are better than MPUs, but each of the suppliers have their own IPs, have their own advantages, which you can look into when you're selecting uh, an FP, uh, FPGA. So what are some of the key features that you need to be looking at inside of your FPGA uh, and it really need to be implemented by the FPGA itself in an embedded division design? Uh, so uh, on the FPGA side, uh, as I said, it's the parallelism is what is most important. So any uh, functionalities, algorithms which can be done parallelly can be implemented easily onto your FPGA. Other than that, there can also be sensor bridging, sensor aggregations. That means by sensor bridging, you mean a different uh, image sensor has different interfaces. It can be a parallel, it can be SLVS, LVDS, uh, or a MIPI interface. Uh, but on the other side, if you're using an MPU, for example, it might not have these interfaces. So FPGA can be used also for the interface bridging. The second thing is sensor aggregation. You can have multiple image sensors linked to a single processor of the FPGA. IPs, image signal processing. This is one of the key uh, important features where FPGA shines. Because if you look at the features like alpha blending, bias interpolation, uh, edge detection, white balancing, these can be done parallelly. And then instead of having to wait for the sequential execution on the MPU or CPU out there, FPGA can work perfectly here. Last but not the least is the single splitter. You have your information. You have to send it out to different outputs. Can be to HDMI, can be multiple displays. Whatever it is, you can use FPGA for the FPGA splitters. That being said, there are new FPGA improvements where you can also run your machine vision algorithms. There are AI solution stacks available, IPs available out there, which can be readily used to implement these features onto your FPGA. Right, right. And I mean, you've got to take a look at the, the speed, the, the, the number of logic elements in there. And then certainly we're seeing, you know, the costs on that becoming more and more, uh, you know, viable, um, you know, again, with our lines like Lattice, um, you know, to be able to, you don't have to go with the super high end, very expensive FPGA in order to work in a lot of systems these days, which is always very, very exciting. Um, 
you know, what are the, you know, are there products you see in the market that make it easier for engineers to kind of get started with their machine learning or embedded vision applications? So, oh yeah, that's a really good question because traditionally, when you hear about FPGA, people think that FPGAs are the most difficult to program, uh, require yeah. special hardware, uh, special skills like the HDL, uh, HDLs such as VHDL or Verilog. So, but uh, presently, a lot of suppliers out there they do have uh, 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 what you call easier synthesis layers, which you can use uh, to enable targeting C, uh, C and C plus plus codes to your FPGA. And uh, uh, from the suppliers uh, like uh, Lattice and OnSemi, they do have these features where we can quickly use their uh, software, uh, softwares and programs to target your FPGA applications. And that's on the software side. On the hardware side, uh, there are uh, uh, development kits uh, out there which you can use right out of the box to, en uh, to enable your machine vision design. It can, you can use this as a reference design and almost all the features are out there in such reference designs. For example, from Lattice, there is embed Embedded Vision Development Kit, which works with a variety of image sensor suppliers and also uh, the AR0234, for example, if you take from Monsemi. And then there's the Pol uh, Polar Fire Video Kit from micro uh, Microchip, which also does, which has similar features. Yeah, in the ecosystem, so important in any design these days. I, th I think, you know, being able to know that there is that tool set, there's the hardware to do your proof of concepts, um, absolutely incredible. And, and to see, you know, lines like Microchip and Lattice really developing that in this area today, uh, I, I think it makes it a very, very easy choice for engineers. But there are a lot to choose from. Um, and that's certainly something that we at Future Electronics would love to help embedded engineers take a look at the different options and make a decision on what's the right option for them to get their designs up and running, up on a, a proof of concept platform so they can do their own circuitry and fit it into the application that they're going for, which is always, you know, I, I think if you can get that leg up based on something another engineer has already done uh, and taken a long way down the path, your time to market is reduced enormously, which is exactly what we what we all want to accomplish to get that product up running and into revenue for our companies even faster. Abhishek, thanks so much for joining me today. This has been really, really insightful. Really appreciate you sharing your in-depth knowledge in this area of technology. And, and just, I think this is one of the most exciting areas where embedded electronic design is going. Um, and, and I absolutely love learning more uh, about where machine vision can go, how we can integrate machine learning and, and AI into that. Um, and, uh, and appreciate your expertise in helping me to gain my knowledge in that area. Uh, thanks also to our audience today. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us on The Current. If you're looking at embedded vision designs or if you're looking at making a decision uh, on an FPGA or what type of imaging sensor you might want to utilize for your design or anything else in the realm of embedded design, uh, we at Future Electronics and our engineering staff would love to come alongside you, be an extension of your teams and help you in that decision-making process uh, and give you access to engineers like Abhishek. Uh, so that you can get your designs up and running and, and work through any any issues you may be having even faster. Uh, please reach out to us at shapingthefuture at futureelectronics.com. Again, that's shapingthefuture at futureelectronics.com, and we'd love to help you. Thanks again so much for joining us on The Current today. We'll see you next time.